Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. We're a little late posting this week, I'm afraid, due to one half of the podcast being stricken with some kind of vile bug. Um, There's a line in The Devil Wears Prada that goes, I'm just one stomach flew away from my perfect weight. And... um, At the risk of providing TMI, I'm two weight divisions smaller than I was during last week's podcast. <laughs> so this is just the kind of visual that's brought you back from vacation, isn't it, Eric? Uh, I, I suppose so. But I, look, any, whatever it takes to get down to your fighting weight, right? Exactly. <laughs> this, this was, it's all for the best that you I'm, I'm drained by the weight loss, though. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a terrible early loss because I just have nothing left. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you have enough left uh, to make it through one podcast uh, before <laughs> completely collapsing. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned though, uh, I, I was on vacation. Uh, I am back now. Uh, so uh, what did I miss? Is uh, is Canelo Conor McGregor signed? No, but Connor versus the guy in the pub who just wanted to be left alone and didn't want to drink a shot of Connor's whiskey apparently was signed, sealed, delivered, and <laughs> and actually took place without any of us noticing. So, so no, so all right, sort of over one there. Okay, but I was I was close on that prediction. Right, anyway. that was a sort con- of. Yep, okay. Yep, yep, um, yep, yep. Any any fights on tap for Antarctica? There was one Orca versus Penguin. It was a horrible, horrible mismatch. Should never have been made. Um, <laughs> matchmaker needs to have his license withheld. That's the only. That's the only one that I'm aware of there. Okay, so officially 0 for two. Then, uh, <laughs> well, well, then uh, surely, uh, not that I predicted this one last week, but uh, just uh, along the same lines, Butterbean is coming back as a flyweight. Give me, give me something, Karen. I don't even know that Butterbean's thigh could come back as a flyweight. I mean, I assume he still looks like Butter. I have no idea. I haven't seen Butterbean or any hide nor hair of him for 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 a while. But um, yeah, I can't. But however, I can't remember if this happened while you were away or if it was beforehand or if we've already even talked about this. But uh, in terms in terms of, of stuff to get very excited about, Floyd Mayweather did post a video in which he said he was flying to Saudi Arabia to discuss a Pacquiao rematch. So there you go. That's something that just, that has every single one of our favorite things all wrapped up in one. Yeah. A lot of, lot of boxes checked there. Uh, it does occur to me, uh, in your response to my, my butterbean query about, uh, with you noting the weight of his sty, perhaps if he could get your stomach bug, the flyweight thing isn't so out of reach. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's starting. He's starting from a from a different place. That's true. That's true. You and know. and even you, you're not getting down to flyweight no matter what. I'm, so. I'm not getting down to flyweight. No. Uh, anyway, but how was the trip anyway during your little absence from the world of Boxiana? Uh, very relaxing. N- nice to not have any work to do for several days. I pretty much disconnected aside from the occasional email or Twitter check. Uh, I still couldn't sleep in because my body won't hear of such things. Uh, But when I'd wake up early and everyone else was sleeping, instead of doing work as I might ordinarily do, I was able to binge most of Mindhunter Season 2. Ah, I need to get into that. Yeah, I think it's worth your while. Uh, I'm I'm almost uh, done Season 2. Okay. Yeah, Uh, but, you know, we we did some beaching, uh, which is not my favorite thing, because sand. Uh, What what adult human likes (laughs) sand? (laughs) Um, but so be it. Uh, we ate some good food. We went to a water park and my back held up surprisingly well on the slides. Uh, and I discovered a sport called pickleball. Are you familiar? I am not. All right. It's right in between tennis and ping pong. You use a a plastic paddle and a ball that's like a wiffle ball. And the court is about half the size of a tennis court. 
So there's some running, but not a lot of running, but you're still getting good exercise without doing all the strenuous things that have basically made tennis off limits for me due to my bad back. So I recommend pickleball fun for the whole family. When, when did we start to become like this? When we're like, yeah, vacation was great. My back held up on the border side and, and, and now I've discovered a game that doesn't involve any running. So it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's it pretty well sums up the station we're at in life. Yeah, uh, but oh well. yeah, so that was my vacation. Then I came back home and had hours and hours of boxing to watch. And here we are. And here we are. Now we're all caught up. And uh, this week on the podcast, we have our usual mix of fight reviews, fight previews, speculation about who Canelo Alvarez will fight next, of course. And we'll try once more to remain calm when having to say the word Saudi Arabia again. Um, but we will start with our thoughts on Friday's card on the home network. As Showbox, the new generation, came to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And Eric found a crowd that was pretty darned excited to see people punch each other in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Those fans were loud and into it, regardless of whether there was any reason at a given moment to be loud <laughs> right. and into it. Right. Um, I understand why fights have to be in Vegas a lot of the time, but those late arriving casino crowds, they yeah. they tend to really suck and be dead, uh, yeah. at least throughout the undercard, you know, unless a, a fight of the year candidate breaks out. And this Broken Arrow crowd was the exact opposite. I, I suggest next time we do a Radio Row pod, I'd like to do it live in front of this Oklahoma crowd. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll laugh at all my jokes. They'll cheer all your segues. We, we could really use them exactly. to enhance the yeah. podcast. There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, as pumped as the fans in Oklahoma were, the card itself was perhaps slightly deflating, not because the action was bad, but because the fights didn't prove competitive. We had three fights. And across all three fights, the perceived A-sides won every single round. The underdogs just proved to be overmatched across the board. And it was perhaps a bit surprising how one-sided the main event was. Yeah. As super middleweight Vladimir Shishkin, whom Kieran and I both picked to win by unanimous decision, instead stopped DeAndre Ware in round eight. Referee Gary Ritter calling a halt just as Ware's corner was throwing in the towel with the loss. Ware falls to 13-2-2, while the Russian Shishkin is now 9-0 with six KOs. Kieran, I, I know you were expecting this fight to be more competitive than this. Were you more impressed with Shishkin or disappointed in Ware? Um, for me, I think it was more of the former, you know, being impressed with Shishkin. Uh, you know, I, I thought that Ware would be able to give him some difficulties early on with, with that swarming style of his, but... He was just never able to get that going because like Shiskin's high punch volume and, and accuracy from the off just kept him on the back foot and he could just never get in close. And um, and I think where he's just that kind of guy, that kind of level, where if you're able to take away his A game, he doesn't necessarily have a B game. Um, you know, and, and I think as we talked about in the preview, you know, if you're going to be really successful consistently with somebody as, as a fighter who tries to swarm your opponent, you kind of need to throw punches. <laughs> right. and, and, and that has been his failing. And I think we identified that last week, that he, he needs to be more active and he just wasn't, you know, active enough. But, you know, I'm not inclined to be too harsh on him for that. I mean, he is what he is, uh, DeAndre Ware. And he's the kind of guy who, up against a decent opponent on the right night, can have success up against somebody who's really significantly more skilled in him than him is his, his, his deficiencies are going to be highlighted. And, um, and it wasn't that he wasn't trying. I mean, even as the fight was clearly being ground out of him round by round by round, um, till that sequence of punches that started the stoppage, he was perhaps having his best 
round of the fight in round eight. I mean, it's still grading on a curve. It was, right. but but you know, still he was certainly giving it a go. So um, yeah. So for me, no, I, I thought it was more about Shiskin. I, I liked what I saw. I, I liked his compactness. Uh, I liked, really loved the straight punching. Uh, like liked his footwork. I, I think you know the the guys were talking about. You know, is he ready to fight somebody like a Callum Smith? I certainly don't think he's there, but he's right. clearly got some, you know, natural skills. Um, looks like somebody, you know, he's one of those guys for whom, you know, the movement and the flow of punches are just very natural. He doesn't have to think about it too much. Um, uh, you know, even though he's got all that amateur experience that we talked about last week, I think he might be the kind of boxer who's better as a pro than as an amateur. He, he just kind of just has that kind of style, I think, and that aggressive approach. Um you know, Sugar Hill Stewart wants to get him to add a bit more power to his game. I don't know that that'll ever be a major element of his makeup. I think the way he fights, he's somebody who's going to wear his foes down. But, you know, as we saw, uh, you know, against Mohammedi, once he does get you hurt, he can finish you off. So, yeah. yeah so personally, I liked what I saw of him. I, I want to see more, but uh, but I'd be very happy to see more. I, I, I liked him. Just mm. Yeah. Um, so... I think we have a pretty good idea, as I said, of what where his ceiling is. He, he's fought three times on Showbox uh, in the last 11 months or so. He's one and two. Uh, he's 31 years old. You know, like we said, he is what he is, I mm-hmm. think. Um, no shame in that. Uh, he's done really well for himself. Um, but we still do, like like I said, I still think we do have a bit to learn about Shiskin. Um, so I was just said, I don't think he's ready for a Callum Smith. But what about you? I mean, did what stood out to you about his performance? And do you think he can, is he potentially world title uh, material? Do you think? Um, yeah, he's a solid guy. Uh, I think we could certainly be looking at a future belt holder at least. Sure. Um, tough to project beyond that, but the tools seem to be there to be a top 10 super middleweight. And if you can make the top 10, you can beat someone for some random yep. vacant belt. At least I would agree with you that, Callum Smith talk is, is still a ways away. Um, he has a good one, too. That's the core of his offense. Yeah. Uh, Raul Marquez pointed out at one point that Shishkin has no inside game and added, but he doesn't need to right now. And mm. that was true in this fight. Might be true for the next few steps in the progression. But eventually, if he's going to be a true champion, not just a dime a dozen belt holder, I think we need to see him develop skills on the inside, or maybe they're there and he just wasn't forced to show them. Um, also, want to see him maybe vary his combinations a bit more, add a little head movement. Yep. Um, yep. But for a prospect ready to advance to contender in the next year or so, I liked what I saw. And yep. uh, and those USA-USA chants didn't seem to bother him. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, boy, did I have complicated feelings about uh, hearing those chants. Uh, but we don't need to get into that here. Um, let's move on to the semifinal bout, where we got our second look at 140-pound prospect Shojahan Ergashev. And as expected, the style of stocky Abdiel Ramirez was far more conducive to making the Uzbeki Southpaw look good than was Michael Fox's style last time out. Ergashev scored a knockdown in the second round, though I felt it was clearly a push, um, but the ref's call proved immaterial as Ergashev dominated the fight completely and stopped Ramirez in the fourth, landing a frightening 53% of his power punches along the way. Uh, As it turned out, Ramirez wasn't much of a measuring stick. What did you take away from this performance by your boy, the descendant of Tamerlane? (laughs) Yeah, I I love me some descendant of Tamerlane. Um, I I don't know how 
far he'll go. I'm having, based on what we've seen of him, I'm still having a bit of a hard time ex- assessing exactly where his ceiling is and, and in fact, where he is right now. Um, but I love watching him. I love his combination punching. Uh, I love the way he listens to instructions. There's Sugar Hill just like points to his body and goes, more. And, <laughs> and he goes out <laughs> the next round and just starts tearing the guy up to the body. I absolutely love that. Um, it is a bit difficult to assess this performance, isn't it? Because like you said, he's, Ramirez just wasn't much you know, of a challenge or much of a measuring stick. But I guess it's a little bit the same as the question you sort of asked with the main event, you know, how much of it was that Ramirez wasn't very good or how much of it was that Urgashev was. Um, You know, they came out with a stat uh, at some point, uh, Steve and the guys, uh, to the effect that I think Ramirez's punch output was something like 40 punches around less against Urgashev than it has been even in his last few fights. So that suggests that maybe Urgashev is doing something right rather than uh, yeah. was doing something wrong. So, um, yeah, like you said, look, this style was sort of tailor-made for him, but that's, that's all right, actually. I, I kind of like the fact that they're giving him very different looks in terms of their opponent. I mean, boy, you, you can't be giving him a much different look than a Michael Fox followed by Abdiel Ramirez. <laughs> right. It's just like they're, they're throwing everything they could possibly think of at him. And, and that's fine, I think. I think that's a good thing. And some styles are going to work out better for him, and he's going to be able to work on some stuff. And some styles are going to be harder for him to work through. So I, I have no idea if he's top-level caliber or not, but I'm having fun watching him. I like the guy. So, all right. The opening bout of the triple header was indeed just as one-sided as the other two, as Arnold Hagai won by unanimous scores of 80 to 72 of Vladimir Tikhonov in a 122-pound bout. As you forecasted, Eric, uh, Hagai was the aggressor throughout. And Tikhonov, yeah, he hung in there for a few rounds, but then he was pretty clearly just looking to, to make it to the final bell, not to win. Um, anything stand out to you about this performance? Uh, you know, I, I'd say what stood out was as much about what I heard as what I saw. Um, I gotta say, a guy's a little annoying with the yelping accompanying every punch he throws. Shades of uh, Anthony Peterson there, but it's more high pitched, almost like a tennis grunt. Uh, and the more the more I listened to it, the more it started to sound like he was yelling his own last name. I was like, a guy, a guy. Uh, and if so. Good marketing, good branding. Kind of, kind of like George saying Stanza as a jingle, you know, <laughs> buries his name in your head. Uh, but I guess I should talk a bit about a guy's actual boxing. Uh, what stood out most is just how fun to watch he is. Um, he's not that hard of a puncher. I don't know that I call him an elite prospect, and he wasn't in against an opponent in Tikhonov who uh, could really do anything to discourage him, but. He got a lot of business done to the body. He's aggressive. He's fun. I definitely want to see more of him. Ideally, next against someone with the power to keep him honest. Uh, I think that's. it was just a little tough to judge here because it was so clear that he was not worried about what was coming at him as he went in right. and did his thing. Um, right. And by the way, I noticed before the fight that Hagai has a big scar on his left eyelid. I wonder if that's a threat to open up in future fights. Mm. What wasn't an issue in this one, though. Mm. All right, so those fights were lacking in drama. That wasn't the case with the unofficial main event of the weekend, (laughs) Sergei Kovalev's 11th round knockout of Anthony Yard. By the way, everyone on the planet seems to be pronouncing it Yard, not Yardy. So no offense, Kieran, but I'm calling him Yard. Up to you whether you want to join me on that or not. Uh, Have you made a decision or are you you sticking with Yardy or going Yard? So it's so funny. So I'm like, well, obviously, like the U.S. commentators have got it wrong. It's obviously Yardy. And I'm like, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go back and look at some old Sky Sports 
you know, or, 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 or BT sport or whatever, and, you know, pieces and interviews with him. And it's like, I've been living in some weird parallel universe. <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell happened, whether I dreamed that he was called Yardy and then that just became a thing or somebody was making fun at my expense at some, some fight in the UK or something. But yeah, I don't know. Apparently it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll just, we'll just pretend I, I never called him that. All right. And so I will pretend that I never followed your lead and called him that <laughs> yeah, also. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, okay, officially from now on, we're going yard. Uh, anyway, tremendous back and forth action over the final few rounds of this one. Kovalev seemed fairly well in control through seven rounds. Uh, then yard hurt him badly in the eighth. Kovalev bounced back tremendously in the ninth. He hurt yard in the 10th and then knocked him out in the 11th with a jab. Uh, I can't remember the last time I saw that. Uh, you know, knockdowns from a jab. Sure, you see that occasionally, but knockouts wow i mean i know exhaustion had a lot to right. do with it but still down and out from a jab uh kieran can you recall another jab ko uh and more importantly bigger picture what went wrong for yard and were you surprised by how alleged front runner kovalev rallied after the near disaster in round eight well so to take the very last part yes i was because we've seen sergey look in in trouble uh before in in his recent fights you know and really two of his last four or five fights and mm -hmm. he he doesn't generally come back when he looks in that kind of state uh boy yard was hitting him in that eighth round he yep. looked he looked gassed and he was getting hit really clean his body language wasn't great i i was very impressed with um you know the way that he came back and i think this is where having an experienced trainer who you trust um, like Buddy McGirt uh, helps, you know, Buddy told him what he needed to hear. He kept him calm. He didn't overreact. Um, and he sent him back out. He told him, you know, just go and box the guy. And and I was very impressed, actually, with the way that Sergei was able to go back to boxing and keep that fight at distance uh, until he was then able to step it up uh, again and put the pressure on. Um, you know, I wonder whether, you know, Yard tired a little bit. It's the first time, as we talked about before, he hasn't faced anybody remotely on this kind of level. He hasn't been remotely in this kind of a fight. And and that kind of pressure, if you're carrying that a little bit, I think weighs that extra uh, more heavily on you a little bit and makes those muscles feel that little bit more tired and that little bit more tense. And I, and I wonder if that was a factor. There was some talk as well beforehand, and I don't know if this is a big deal or not, that supposedly uh, his trainer doesn't like doing sparring. Right. Um, and that seems... I mean, that's probably a great way to, to ensure long-term preservation of your fighter, I suspect. Um, but I don't know if that means he's he's then insufficiently equipped when, you, when you've got to really sort of dig deep in there or not. I don't know if that, that was a bit of it. But um, uh, yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like emotional and mental energy. And really the fact that he had Kovalev almost where he wants him and was perhaps a couple of punches away from a big win and then didn't have that, that... that to then feel, you know, this guy coming back at him, I'm sure that saps a lot of his energy from him as well. But, um, right. but you know, he'll presumably hopefully learn from his experience. And as for KO by jabs, Michael Watson, TKO6, Nigel Benn, May 21st, 1989. I remember it well. Well, I think uh, Steve Farhad just lost his title of Mr. Boxopedia. The way you rattled off the uh, that that example and the date and everything, although you you probably looked up the date. I looked up the date. I, I remember that it was 1989. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm suddenly even as we're talking, 
I feel like I should go and have a look, but I think Sven Otke might have dropped and stopped Anthony Mundine with a jab, which was all the more remarkable because uh, Sven Otke yeah, didn't that, drop anybody. That sounds for, that sounds familiar. I, I definitely remember that he knocked him out and that it was like shocking to everyone that that was the way right. the fight ended. Uh, was it a jab? Might have I can't been. Might have been. I, it just suddenly came to me while we were talking about this. I, it might have been. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So there you go. Certainly right. one, perhaps two. Huh? <laughs> okay. Huh? There you go. Yes, I'm impressed. Um, I, you, so you brought up the the sparring thing uh, or lack thereof. Um, I was a little out of the loop heading into the fight, uh, having been on vacation the whole week before, and 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 I missed even the whole undercard. I really turned it on just as the main event was starting. So I'm. I'm not sure when that chatter about Yard not sparring during fight week began, whether that was just on the broadcast or whether that was... I first heard it like a day or two before. Like okay. it became one of those fight new fight week stories that sort of popped up toward the end of fight week. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, I kind of missed the whole thing until the fight was going down. And then uh, I saw boxing Twitter really running with that one. Uh, and with good reason. Um, I think you have to spar a little. And mm. I say this as someone with no real in-ring experience, but just in observing this sport for a couple of decades, I think it's so important for keeping your mind calm, for being relaxed right. in the ring, to have gotten used to having punches coming back at you and, and boxing those three-minute rounds. And so Yard, you know, between his big muscles and his lack of sparring, he got winded early. I, I tweeted out in the fourth round that his mouth was wide open. Um, so, so that's one big angle in this fight that, that yards got to start doing at least a little sparring. If he mm. wants to be as physically and mentally ready as he can be. Uh, another thing that I noticed about him is that he has really heavy feet. Uh, you know, he's, he's never on the balls of his feet. He's always mm. plodding around flat footed. Uh, that's not ideal, but those things said, obviously a lot of the tools are there um, for him to have pushed Kovalev like he mm. did with these particular flaws. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say this is a guy who will at least grab an alphabet belt at some point before his career is done, who can who can still come back from this one defeat and, and make plenty of noise, I would think. Um, focusing on Kovalev, his jab was great at times, uh, just as it was in the Alvarez rematch and, and the B-Hop fight. That's such a key punch for him. Yeah. Um, and... The big thing is just how much he impressed me in round nine. Uh, you yeah. know, he took that beating in round eight. It was almost a 10-8 round without a knockdown. In fact, one of the judges did score at 10-8. Uh, but he came out in the ninth and stay, stayed composed and went to the body, which yeah. you don't usually see a hurt fighter remember to do that. Um, just what an impressive second win from him in 9, 10, 11. Really unlikely stuff from a guy in the back half of his 30s with the reputation he has. And... Uh, one more quick thing. A note to all commentators. Please don't tell me that a fighter doesn't like it to the body. Nobody <laughs> likes it to the body. At least not in a boxing context, I suppose. There are other ways in a, that uh, we will not discuss here in which one could like it to the body. But uh, I, I'd like to see that cliche disappear. Uh, right. I, I could have said I'd like to see it go the way of the dodo, but I didn't because I'm above the use of cliches, as we should all aspire to be. Um, so one last conversation we have to have as we analyze this fight we usually save the Canelo Alvarez opponent update for the news <laughs> segment but may as well do it now it's going to be Canelo versus Kovalev right Kieran is, is there any chance that fight isn't happening toward the end of the year it feels it feels that everything's moving in that direction doesn't it I mean the fact that Canelo has you know delayed this decision until until after this fight and 
Yeah, one by one, I think the other available alternatives are sort of coming off the board. Um, you know, the way this fight unfolded, I think, was just perfect for Canelo. Uh, Kovalev won, obviously. Right. He won by KO in a good fight. But at times, he looked super vulnerable. Yep. Um, and, and that's just perfect. And, and really, ever since that second Andre Ward fight, there have been several times that where Kovalev, who earlier on in his career was, was largely just mowing people down, has looked vulnerable as, as you know, perhaps as he slowed down and, uh, you know, and aged, people have been able to get to him in the same way that you know, he, he was previously just able to get them. But I, I, this was, I think, a significant step in that this was the first time we'd seen him look in real trouble and come back. So I think that's that whole other element in there. But um, uh, yeah, I'm sure... Whatever Canelo might feel about that particular phrase, uh, if, if ever a fellow liked working another guy's body, it was <laughs> right. him. So I'm sure he'll have been licking his lips at part of that. And he will think to himself, we could make this fight and it will be a big fight. And people will forget, at least temporarily, that I'm not fighting Gennady Golovkin and I never want to fight him again. And this is a fight with legitimate danger, but that I can absolutely win. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you that I see... I, I cannot see Canelo fighting Demetrius Andrade, who is the last sort oh, of God. real significant middleweight standing. Canelo's going to, you know, he's been, when possible, about making the, the big statement. And uh, I, can, I can absolutely see, see this happening. I'd be, I wouldn't say I'd be surprised if it doesn't happen because it's boxing and it's Canelo. But it does feel as if all the pieces are being put into place for this. Yeah, and uh, and I'm increasingly confident that Canelo is going to be a pretty big betting favorite uh, if indeed it happens, which is in a way surprising for a middleweight going up against a proven light heavyweight. But it sure feels like everyone's now on board the, oh, this guy's perfect for Canelo train. Right, right, right. And it'll be interesting. You know, on the one hand, you wonder it was a tough fight for Kovalev. And I guess they've been talking about it being like a November date or something is my understanding, the latest with Canelo. Um, and you think, well, you know, how is, is, is Kovalev going to be able to come back easily enough? Cause it was a tough fight, but at the same time, it probably means it's going to keep him in the gym, which is good for him because mm -hmm. you know, that's going to keep him out of bars and off airplanes and just <laughs> other places where the guy can cause all kinds of mayhem to himself and others. So, um, anyway, look, if Kovalev Yard was the main event of a busy Saturday in boxing, uh, the co-feature was surely Juan Francisco Estrada defending his super flyweight belt against Dwayne Beeman, uh, stopping the game and flashy challenger in round nine. Uh, we talked beforehand about Estrada being, you know, sort of a bottom half of the pound for pound top 10 kind of guy. He's still there for you. Yeah, absolutely. I had him at number eight the last time I compiled a list, which was in June. Uh, since then, Manny Pacquiao beat Keith Thurman, and so maybe Pac recracks my top ten. I'm not sure yet, but if he does, it's at nine or ten. I think Estrada holds steady at number eight. Uh, props to Beeman first for really coming to fight, despite being in a little over his head. And then the main thing that struck me about Estrada's performance, uh, and maybe this is a function of his opponent's aggressive, energetic nature, but Estrada was damn fun to watch. Uh, and, and not that that's unusual for him, but it really stood out here yeah. how much I enjoyed every second of this scrap. Yeah, yeah. He's just a quality prize fighter, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he's just he's just a, a fabulous, really classy fighter. 
Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned it was a busy Saturday. Here's what else we saw around the globe. Uh, Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton both won on FS1 and seem to be building toward a showdown of mm. beaten young 122 pounders. Not this year, but they're talking maybe 2020. Uh, in Nagoya, Japan, flyweight Kosei Tanaka got off the deck to knock out Jonathan Bamba Gonzalez in seven rounds. James Kirkland ended a four-year layoff with a first-round knockout of a sub-500 fighter. And going back a week, because it fell through the cracks of our podcast schedule, uh, we should note that Emmanuel Navarrete blew through Francisco Devaca in three rounds and is coming right back just four weeks later on September 14th against Juan Miguel Alorde, the grandson of Filipino great Flash Alorde. Anything you want to comment on among all those results, Kieran? So mostly for me, I was really interested in Figueroa and Fulton. Um, and both did what you're supposed to do with, when given like an opportunity uh, with the TV televised card. Uh, ended their fights early and emphatically. Uh, uh, you know, Fulton's fight with Isaac Avalar, it was fairly unremarkable uh, until he just uncorked that perfect body shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Avalar doesn't like it to the body, you know. <laughs> Damn it, Karen! We're retiring that phrase. <laughs> and uh, and Figueroa, you you might have thought you know he had some height and reach advantages against Javier Chacon, and you might have thought he might use those, but instead he just decided to just steam right through him, just getting in there close, just really taking it to him from the first minute, um, beating him up, and again putting in a lot of good body work before um, finishing him with a sort of body shot right hand uppercut sequence. Uh, in the fourth. Yeah, Figueroa and Fulton would make a quite a very nice little fight at 122. There could be a nice little rivalry that they could build up to there. Um, and props also to Navarrete, who is having just a really good year and a bit um, yeah. uh, for taking care of business so easily and early and coming back so soon. I mean, just adding the real old school style to everything else that he's doing right now. Yeah, uh, we we both uh, just narrowly avoided yeah. drafting Navarrete onto our uh, our uh, up and coming rising star teams, and maybe that was a mistake. Maybe yeah. he should have uh, should have been drafted there. Um, I just want to make one quick observation about Brandon Figueroa. Did you notice how the director in the truck for FS1? kept cutting to random women in the crowd leading up to the opening <laughs> bell. It, it reminded me of how WWF used to produce a ravishing Rick Rude match. You know, they, they'd find one or two girls in the crowd taking pictures or, or looking like they were at an early Beatles concert uh, and, and cut to them as he took off his robe. Uh, same, same with Figueroa. They're, they're really leaning into the heartthrob thing. Right. Um, and, and we got a couple of shots of Figueroa's sister, of course, always good to throw hashtag horned boxing Twitter a bone with that one. A bone. Oh, um, I didn't even mean that, but yeah, yeah guess so. We're never going to get renewed. Turning <laughs> um, our attention to the fights to come, there is a once again a clear unofficial main event of this coming weekend as Vasily Lomachenko pays a visit from his home world to take on Luke Campbell this Saturday, August 31st at the O2 Arena in London. That will be streaming on ESPN Plus in the United States. Uh, this is Lomachenko's first time fighting in England, although it's not his first time fighting a Brit. As last time out, he eviscerated poor Anthony Crawler in four rounds. Um, there's been some chatter. Um, perhaps overly optimistic about Campbell's style being potentially troublesome for Lomachenko. Um, what do you think of such chatter? And uh, I, is there any upset potential here? I don't really think so. I, I don't see it. Um, I've become friendly with a, a big-time sports better, a guy I quote in my articles on usbets.com sometimes, and uh, he texted me a couple of weeks ago 
said Campbell's like a 10 to 1 underdog. He was thinking about betting it. Did I think it was worth a flyer? Does he have a chance? And I told him, no, not, not at those odds. I don't think it's worth it. 20 to mm. 1, 25 to 1. Mm. Maybe I'd start thinking about it there, but I just don't see it. Um, I get that Luke Campbell is tall and he's a southpaw. And on paper, that sounds like trouble. But this is Lomachenko we're talking about. Exactly. He, he's just on another level. He figures guys out. He keeps them constantly off balance and unable to do what they want to do. Sure, you know, I could see Campbell being in the fight through two or three or maybe four rounds, causing some problems, but Lomachenko's going to take over and dominate at some point. Uh, will he stop him? Maybe not. Campbell's never been stopped, and Lomachenko's power at 135 isn't quite what it was at lower weights. So, you know, what exact outcome I would be predicting if I were making a, an official prediction, I'm not sure, but... What I am confident of is that Lomachenko is going to win. I don't see any realistic chance of an upset here. Do you agree with me? I, I do. Look, I like Luke Campbell. He's he's a legitimately solid fighter. He's, he's legitimately world class. But the problem that he has is he only has two arms. And that's not enough against Lomachenko. <laughs> um, no, and I think you're on, on something there. Look, the, the, the Lomachenko footwork is going to make the difference here, I think. And uh, you're exactly right. He's perfectly happy to take a couple rounds to figure somebody out. And then once he's dialed in, I mean, Campbell's very good, but he's very good in the in the sort of conventional, normal world title challenger type fighter sense. Um right. He doesn't, I think, have anything that's going to be able to enable him to compete over the full distance once Lomachenko gets dialed in and once once Vasily starts moving around and it's not going to matter whether he's orthodox or southpaw, it's not going to matter how tall he is, Vasily's going to slide in underneath those punches and he's going to be whacking him to the body and I, I just think eventually Luke Campbell's just going to... Re- sort of retreat in his shell a little bit. It'll be a brave performance, I suspect, from Luke Campbell, uh, probably do himself some credit. But uh, it's, it's just, I don't don't see what he has that can beat Vasily Lomachenko. Yeah, he's an earthling. He's an earthling. That is his fundamental problem. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true of many of us, really. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, some interesting fights on the undercard. Uh, light heavyweight prospect Joshua Poitsi will be in action against Ryan Ford. And there's a flyweight alphabet title fight between Charlie Edwards and Julio Cesar Martinez. But it's the heavyweight fight that has my attention. Veteran Alexander Povetkin against Huey Fury, cousin of Tyson Fury. Uh, this will be Povetkin's first fight since getting stopped by Anthony Joshua a year ago. He's on enemy turf, and Fury isn't bad. His only losses are 12-round decisions to Joseph Parker and Kubrat Pulev. Povetkin is 39, Fury just 24. This is a true crossroads fight. What do you make of it? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, Huey, Huey Fury can fight. I mean, safe to say he gets more attention than he might otherwise do because of his last name. Right. Um, but but he's clearly in that mix, in that sort of second tier of heavyweights. Um and Povetkin is a really interesting test for him. I mean, he's absolutely the kind of opponent who will go a long way towards showing whether Fury can really take the step up into like legitimate contender talk. Such a funny career in a way, Povetkin, huh? I mean, successful in many ways, but so underwhelming in others. I mean, after he knocked out Chris Bird, which I had to look up and was amazed to find was 12 years ago, um... I really thought Povetkin was going to be a force in the division. I really did. But it just never quite panned out. I feel, I think that that partnership with Teddy Atlas just didn't, wasn't the right fit. Agree, um, yeah. And, and it, it just felt like it stalled any momentum that Povetkin was 
was gaining at that point. And, you know, and, you know, it's like he never really got it back. He, he fell short against Klitschko and Joshua, and he's had, I think, two positive drug tests in the last few years. And his fights, having once been quite exciting, are far too often a bit dull. But he remains an extremely experienced, an extremely dangerous um, and skilled foe. It, it would be a major scalp for Fury if he can pull this off. But it's an interesting enough fight in that I, I could, I almost feel like it's a 50-50 fight at this point, actually. Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty close to it. I did, I did uh, as is my want. I looked up the uh, the odds, and Povetkin is a favorite, but not a big favorite. It's you know well well under two to one. So uh, mm. yeah, the books see it as close to a toss up. Yep. Uh, so the only other televised card of the weekend is on Fox from Minneapolis with Arislandi Lara headlining against Ramon Alvarez, the older brother of Canelo, who of course won an hour decision over Lara in 2014. Um, the co-feature was supposed to be the ever-snake-bit Caleb Truax versus <laughs> Peter Quillen, um, but Truax suffered a torn Achilles, so that one's off. Um, we will see recent showbox fighter Sebastian Fondora in action against Jamonte Clark. Uh, anything you're looking forward to there? And with the way it's all worked out between these two, do Quillen and Truax just need to give up on each other at this point? Yeah, they, they, they definitely do. That that pairing is cursed uh quillen <laughs> appears to have moved on uh he's already talking about uh, another fight in september and an achilles tear that that takes some time to come back yeah. from i hate to say it because i really like the guy but yep. caleb truax is 35 he's been in some tough fights and now an achilles tear he might be and done his- yeah. Maybe it's time to go back to the ice fishing. <laughs> That's that was, I was just thinking that. Maybe, I, I don't know if you can make a full-time living ice fishing, <laughs> uh, but uh, something to think about anyway. Yeah. Um, as for Lara Alvarez, that's pretty bad. A- Alvarez got stopped by Brandon Rios in 2018. Oh, so, that's right. Yeah. I that. <laughs> that gives you an idea of the level he's at. This is, to me, a fairly awful network TV main event. But... Uh, helping to balance it out, give me all the Fundora. Uh, he is—he's <laughs> still growing, uh, they say. So uh, you know, maybe he'll be a seven-foot junior middleweight by the time the <laughs> bell rings. You never know. Um, one other fight maybe worth mentioning in Australia: Jeff Horn takes on Michael Zarafa. Jeff Horn has become sort of a forgotten man at welterweight, but he's a solid fighter, and he does have that quote-unquote win over Manny Pacquiao. Um, and maybe I shouldn't say quote-unquote. I actually scored that fight a draw, so I, I shouldn't so be I. so harsh on the decision. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Horn, um, you know, should still be considered a relevant fighter. I expect him to handle Zarafa, even if this fight is far above his proper weight, up at 160 pounds. Anything to say about Jeff Horn, Kieran, or should we just move on to the news? No, I mean, you're right. He is... He's another one of these guys who's a, a actually really solid fighter. Um, like like you said, uh, neither of us scored the fight for him against Manny Pacquiao, but we did score a draw. Yeah. And obviously there was something wrong with Manny that, that day, but still, you know. Um, and okay, so he's not in the league of a Terence Crawford, but very, very few people are. Right. Um, but, you know, even at the age of 31, he could still make a very solid career for himself. He's still, there's no reason why, you know, he shouldn't be in the mix in sort of, you know, eliminatory type fights. I think being down in Australia is a bit of a problem because he becomes the forgotten man somewhat, um, you know, in terms of when folks are looking for possible opponents for that kind of a fight. But conversely, that means he's able to get some pretty big domestic showdowns uh, down there. Um, and he will always be a hero to many in Australia, not just for the decision against Pacquiao, but for flattening Anthony Mundine inside a round last year, um, which I think probably made him quite popular. Gosh, two, two negative <laughs> mentions of Anthony Mundine in one podcast. Sorry, yeah. mate. 
Yeah, it's nothing uh, personal, really. It really isn't. But, listen, you know. it's, it's officials. Remember all the times Anthony Mundine got knocked out week here at the, on the Showtime <laughs> podcast. Apparently, yeah. Oh dear. All right. So the biggest news this week is that the Gennady Golovkin Sergei Derevyanchenko fight has been signed for October fifth, Madison Square Garden, and uh, just afterwards, Triple G announced that he had signed with Matchroom, and which, among other things, sort of brings full circle. The events of last year when Golovkin was going to rematch Canelo until Canelo was suspended. And then there was that great deal of back and forth over whether he would fight Derevyanchenko, who was a mandatory, before he then fought Vanis Martirosian, um, before ultimately getting the Canelo rematch. Um, and as we've mentioned before, we've seen Derevyanchenko subsequently in title action, falling short in a creditable effort against Daniel Jacobs last year. And of course, we know all about Golovkin. Um, we'll get to it more uh, a week or so out. But anything else to comment on? Uh, yeah, well, I guess just in terms of the signing with Matchroom thing, uh, mm. let's note that Golovkin and K2 had a great run, um, but this follows on somewhat logically from Gennady ditching Abel Sanchez. There's uh, no big surprise uh, that, that it went this way. And it's not like he's ditching the guys who got him there just as he's starting to make the money. Uh, they all made a lot of money together. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm not shedding any tears for anyone. My quick observation about the fight for now is this. I'm interested in it because we haven't seen Gennady in against this level of opposition in a while. It's either been the Canelo, Jacobs, top-level guys who he's gone the distance with very mm -hmm. close, or it's been the total setups like Steve Rolls and Vanis Martirosian. Uh, remember that nobody other than Canelo or Jacobs has lasted the distance with Triple G right. since before he came to America. So... This will be interesting, not in terms of whether I have any question about who will win, but in terms of whether Gennady can dominate and stop this guy. Because mm. prime Triple G, I think, absolutely would have. Whether current Triple G will stop a B-plus level opponent, we don't know. Uh, we, we haven't seen him in the ring with this level of opposition in a few years. Yeah, good point. Good points. So, yeah, golovkin Derevyanchenko is on, as we figured it would be. And we follow that expected news with more expected news. Andy Ruiz has now signed on the dotted line for the Anthony Joshua rematch in Saudi Arabia. Ruiz reportedly added a little over a million dollars to his purse by holding out. This fight strikes me as the ultimate example of a sellout. It is the dictionary definition. Um, and I'm sure some of the people involved see nothing wrong with staging this event in Saudi Arabia. So for them, it's not a sellout, I guess. But for many of the people involved, from the fighters to their teams to people at DAZN, etc., they know what's what. They get what's happening in the country. And they're just selling out their values, their morals, in order to make money. As Ted DiBiase used to say, Everybody's got a price, and uh, Andy Ruiz's price apparently was a million bucks or so more than originally <laughs> offered, but his price has been located. Uh, and we have to start dropping in some million-dollar man laughing sound effects every time we talk about this fight. Maybe that's the way to go. Um, so you've said plenty about this fight the last couple of weeks, Kieran. Anything to add, or should we move on? I'm almost out of rants on this for now. Um, except that, you know, I, I find myself wondering, like, what the family of Jamal Khashoggi thinks about all of this. I mean, not the, mm. I'm sure they're not tuned into this boxing aspect of it, but simply the way in which the world has just kind of shrugged his shoulders a little bit and moved on while, you know, Khashoggi's remains are in an undisclosed location. And 
Um, yeah, it's not just a boxing issue, obviously, or an Eddie Hearn issue, but it's a global one. But it's a stench that sort of now infected boxing, which God knows does not need any more unpleasant <laughs> odors. Um, look, I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I, I, I will watch the fight and we'll report on it, presumably, um, you know, and we'll discuss it because that's our job. Um, but I think for me, the only thing worse than this fight being in Saudi Arabia is that the Saudis have now found a perfect sports washing project. And, and Eddie Hearn saying, this is going to be the start of something big. This is a whole new venture in boxing. Oh, God, I'm, I hope not, but I'm afraid so. Hmm. That, that they're just going to throw money at big events and people are going to take that money and it's going to be normalized. And yeah, what is it Dylan said? Money doesn't talk it swears or something <laughs> yeah so there you go right yep. we move on yep. uh updating another story we've been tracking this is better news we just progray and the world boxing super series are in talks hoping to resolve progray's lawsuit and save his fight with josh taylor we certainly hope they can sort that out uh, that's that's a terrific fight that we've been looking forward to for a while um while we wait on that one notable fight card was announced this past week as the September edition of Showbox is mostly set. It'll be in Midland, Texas on Friday, September 20th, featuring some familiar faces. Michael Dutchover meets Thomas Matisse in a lightweight bout. Ruben Villa takes on Jose Vivas in a battle of unbeaten featherweights. I think it's about his third appearance already on Showbox this year, isn't it, Yeah, yeah that's right. He's, and uh, welterweight Brandon Lee, who scored a KO1 off TV on this past Friday's Showbox undercard, will round out the triple header against an opponent to be announced. Uh, quick impressions? Gut reaction is that this is very showboxy, and I mean yep. that as a compliment. Yep. Um, Matisse's stock definitely went down in his last showbox appearance, um, and I don't know anything yet about Jose Vivas. I'll have to do my research as we get closer. Uh, I certainly don't know anything about the TBA that Brandon Lee is fighting. <laughs> so uh, that's the B-sides, but I'm interested in all the A-sides. Uh, these are all fighters that, I, that I've been wanting to uh, get another good look at. So uh, much deeper analysis to come in a few weeks, of course. And one last thing we have to mention on August 16th, just hours after we recorded our last podcast, Hall of Fame welterweight champion Jose Napoles died in Mexico City after a long illness at the age of 79. Napoles was born in Cuba, but when Castro banned professional boxing, he escaped to Mexico, where he lived the rest of his life from his early 20s on. He beat Curtis Cox for the welterweight title in 1969, lost the title to Billy Backus, won it back, made 13 successful title defenses across his two reigns, challenged Carlos Monzon for the middleweight crown, retired with a record of 81-7, and 54 knockouts. He can be found in the top 10 of almost any ranking of the all-time welterweight champs. Some rankings uh, even put him in the top five. And, of course, welterweight is a historically stacked division, so that's saying something if he was one of the five to ten best ever to do it at 147 pounds. So RIP to one of the greats, Jose Mantequilla Napolis. Absolutely. And that will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we should be back with a normal podcast next week, but then for the couple of weeks after that, Eric will be flying largely solo as I head to the Arctic and hopefully return. Um, <laughs> although, all things being well, we're going to look to pre-tape a couple of segments so you still get to hear my dulcet tones while I'm gone. Until next time, thanks for listening.